Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I am blessed and grateful to be sitting here with Hunter Thompson. Hunter, how are you, sir? Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Much appreciated. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's great to uh, have technology that serves us in so many ways. We had a little bit of tech, technological problems getting started here, but I know that just because we had a little bit of turbulence getting off the uh, landing strip there, we're going to have a great conversation. So I'm, I'm excited to uh, discuss with you. I'm excited to dive into your background, your story, and really what you're doing to elevate to a life without limits. So thanks again for taking time. Yeah, happy to do it. And I really like the concept of the conversation because there's so much here that you can learn so much about real estate or entrepreneurship. For example, if you leave half of that other equation that you just mentioned on the table, you're leaving money on the table and your well-being. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that sometimes we get lost in the tactics and the tools and the strategies sometimes and we forget about, you know, the really the greatest thing that you can do is really invest in yourself. And even I loved reading your book when you talked about, you know, the asymmetric, you know, the greatest and the ultimate asymmetric investment is investing in not only your financial education, but even perhaps taking it a step further, investing in yourself. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited to welcome Elevate Nation back because we're absolutely going to be taking it to another level today. And I want to welcome you back to the show where our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate investing and beyond. And this is where we're going to talk about the mindset, the habits, the routines, the systems, the strategies, the tools, and so much more from an individual like Hunter Thompson. So you, the listener, the viewer can do even more for yourself to elevate your own life to a life without limits and create new opportunities and to overcome new challenges, you know, the next challenge that will, un, you know, undoubtedly occur in our life. And this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. And if you appreciate what we're doing on the show, it'd certainly be grateful if you subscribe to the show, if you give us a rating review, it helps because our goal is to reach millions of people with this message. You know, we live in a very challenging world in many capacities, but we also live in a world of unlimited abundance. So what can we do to share and pay it forward and provide opportunities for other people so they can live a life of fulfillment, they can live a life of joy, of happiness, of excitement, uh, and really unlimited opportunities. And so anyway, with that said, I want to introduce you to Hunter Thompson, who is a full-time real estate investor and the founder of ASIM Capital, a private equity firm based out of Los Angeles, California. Since founding ASIM Capital, he has overseen and directed the purchase of over $90 million of commercial real estate across a variety of asset classes. He is also the author of Raising Capital for Real Estate, How to Attract Investors, Establish Credibility, and Fund Deals. And I can tell you it's a fantastic book. So thank you for sending that out into the world and providing so much value there, Hunter. And uh, he's also the host of the Cashflow Connections Real Estate Podcast, which it listed in the top 200 investing podcasts in iTunes. You definitely want to check out his podcast. We'll put a link there in the show notes as well. But with that said, Hunter, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself behind the bio. So first of all, I just want to thank you for mentioning the book. The reason I say that is that the book was written with the intention to give away the playbook of what it's like to raise capital in today's environment. It's not written with the intention to be a New York Times bestseller. And so what that means is it can be extremely dense, 
but the people that like it get a ton out of it. So when someone mentions that they really like the book, it's like we're talking the same language because there have been other books that have impacted me in that same manner where you're like, this is just a coaching program that someone gave away. So anyway, thank you for doing that. Um, so just a little bit about my background. I was very interested in financial markets as soon as 2008 happened. So I was very insulated from that crash. I was in college at the time. 2008 happened and I said, I know about economics from a academic standpoint, studying economics in college, but now I want to put this in practice. I want to take everything I know, which is not a lot, by the way, at the time, and I want to learn about how to take advantage of this extremely historically significant correction and produce some wealth for myself. I started studying Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and just reading everything I could about value investing, about day trading, about algorithmic trading, just what is the right dynamic? What is the right niche? What is a way that I can get a leg up on the competition? And started investing and had success, as most people do, that started in 2008. And it really wasn't until 2010 that I had what most people consider the last straw moment, which was all of a sudden massive volatility in the U.S. markets because of the European debt crisis. Now, if you read 100 books about finance over the last 10 years, Almost no one talks about this, but for me, this was like such an eye-opening moment. Europe was struggling with very similar liquidity challenges due to asset price decreases like the United States dealt with, and it was creating massive volatility, so much so that it didn't matter if you understood balance sheets and how to analyze stocks and how to take advantage of price dynamic changes and volatility. All that mattered was the grease bond yields, and it was like, I didn't read anything about this potentially playing that kind of role in my financial well-being, let alone the single most important determining factor. And so I thought it, for about six months, you know, how can I mitigate these risks? How can I find a vehicle that is going to produce predictable outcomes that doesn't require an entire multi-billion dollar company conducting due diligence on such a litany of obscure things? And I was quickly drawn to real estate. I was open to anything. But real estate just quickly again and again came up as being a combination of simplistic enough so you can limit the number of risks, but complicated enough so that you can find extremely best-in-class operators that have a huge advantage over their competition. And that's where I found myself in the real estate sector shortly after. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And I, and I find it to be very fascinating how you were able to read in between the lines and to be able to garner wisdom through, you know, you were educating yourself from a, you know, an economic standpoint and understanding global markets. And then, you know, what was happening in 2008 was so vastly different than what you had studied before. And I also find it fascinating because we're in an environment now that we've never experienced before in our lifetime, perhaps a certain degree of what we've experienced as far as a pandemic and, you know, other things and other factors that are occurring in the world have happened, you know, at some point, but obviously not in a modern era. And so how do you look at, you know, this sort of environment in a similarity uh, perspective, as well as, you know, from a different perspective of what you saw in 2008? I mean, I'm just curious as to how you see that as, you know, someone who's observing and also now, you know, firmly and heavily operating in this type of environment. So I'd say that if you're listening to this podcast, you must understand that you are most likely much more well-prepared from an emotional standpoint and from a financial standpoint than your peers. 
And that's because real estate entrepreneurs, real estate investors, people who are interested in finance. If you have a meaningful conversation with anyone you respect that lasts more than 10 minutes, the question will undoubtedly come up, when is the next correction going to be and how significant is it going to be? And is it going to be blank compared to 2008? I mean, how many times have you had that conversation on this exact podcast? I can't even so, say, I mean, thousands. Exactly. Yeah. That's not typical in other industries. You know, people that focus on marketing for cars, for example, all of their important conversations are not around that exact question over and over again. So it's a really important time for you to be a leader in today's environment, to be a source of stability so that people know that this is like the definition of what a leader is. This is how you're going to find out what you're actually made of when times are tough. You know, something we talk about in the world of finance is that the last 10 years, everyone has looked like a genius. Well, that is also true from an emotional standpoint. That's also true from a community building standpoint. So, you know, when I look at this situation, going back, comparing to 2001, for example, where we saw, um, something that's very common, both economically and socially, which is a very significant one-two punch. So we saw the dot-com bubble crash. Okay, we're recovering from that. That risk was very insulated to those investing in NASDAQ, et cetera. But then we have 9-11. And the combination of that one-two punch is something that re is very reoccurring. So 9-11 takes place. Now we have a legitimate recession. Now, some people may say that the post 9-11 recession was not a genuine recession because it wasn't two or eight months of cumulative quarter to quarter loss. So it's a very mild recession, but still, I think it's an important point because what we saw is all of a sudden domestic travel down drastically, major industries having really serious challenge as a result of that. You know, we saw hospitality take a major hit. We saw the airport line, of course, take a major hit. You know, comparing that to 2008, where jobless claims, you know, hit a high of 700,000, right? That doesn't mean 700,000 people were unemployed. That means new people for the first time claiming, okay, it's 2009, 2008, I'm unemployed for the first time. That number peaked out at 700,000. We've been tracking the media recently. We saw that high go from 700,000 in 2008 to 3.3 million, to 6.6 million, and then another 6 million or so. Millions and tens of millions of people instantly on the push of a button put into unemployment, many of them for the first time. So this is extremely historically significant, but what's interesting about this is that typically those unemployment numbers are a function to a large degree of supply and demand, where you have business models that are unsustainable, where you have debt consolidation or debt contraction, I should say, lack of liquidity in the market, disallowing people to be flexible. And you have banks turning into real estate investors, you know, at the end of the day. This is not what's going on in this current environment. This is about, you know, concerns about a pandemic have led to a government lockdown. So you could have a perfectly profitable business. You may have even done some sensitivity analysis on your retail center where revenues could decrease by 30%. Right. But you most likely did not include a reduction of revenues by 100%. How could you possibly account for that? So now we're playing the paper money game of printing money, providing it to the public. Hopefully the money gets into the hands that it's supposed to get into. And it's very, very concerning, especially with certain asset classes. And we can talk about that as well. But I mean, that's how I look at this current situation.
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to highlight how important it is for the listeners, the viewers to really dig into an understanding of what's going on and how complex this is and, and how this impacts your strategy. How does it, this impact the markets in which you are involved? Because at the end of the day, we can all sit here and, you know, in our ivory tower and look up, look across the landscape and say, wow, you know, these are unprecedented circumstances and, you know, we've got a ton of challenges. But what sort of opportunities does that create? You know, what sort of shakeout does that require? What sort of pivot or adaptation does that require as well? You know, because I think, um, you know, as, as you and I were talking about before we came on the show, I mean, as you even just mentioned, again, is really that, you know, real estate investors, we're always kind of thinking ahead of like, when is the next correction? When is the next challenge? And how are we going to you know, adapt or how are we going to thrive in that sort of environment? And, you know, a lot of times people are saying, gosh, I wish the next correction would come. You know, it's like, I I know people were saying that for the past several years. It's like, I wish that this next correction will come. So now it's here. So what are the opportunities? And, you know, how does the, the landscape of commercial real estate shake out? I mean, I know that you're involved in several different asset classes. How are you adapting right now? And and what sort of steps are you taking? So it's a really good question. And I'll kind of paraphrase a conversation that I had recently with Ryan Smith, who did write the foreword of our book, which is that we are not seeing robust opportunities in asset classes, which we've historically focused on because we've focused on recession resistant asset classes. There are extremely unique and interesting and ahistoric things going on right now. But to a large degree, our thesis particularly as it relates to self-storage, mobile home parks, and workforce housing, is being proven correct in the most pronounced version of what we anticipate happening. So self-storage is a perfect example. Looking at the public markets as an indicator of how things are viewed, for a large, to a large degree, self-storage has been relatively unimpacted uh, comparatively, right? So why is that? Well, industrial has been deemed an essential business big part. If you go back and listen to interviews I was doing in 2016, I cannot tell you how frequently I repeated a major driver of demand of this product is people downsizing, kids moving home from college unexpectedly, people having to move jobs or change jobs, or people that don't want to pay so much rent and are trying to figure out a new way and cheaper way to live. Um, Not that they'll live in the self-storage, but that they'll downsize to live in a smaller facility, a smaller property. So that's exactly what's taking place now. The mobile home park business is unique. We've obviously seen people being hurt in that industry where you've got hourly wage workers to a large degree working jobs which are not outsourced online and cannot be completed online, for example. But in the wake of that, the government understands that these $1,200 checks or other stimulus programs are extremely consequential on a gross dollars perspective uh, proportionally to their normal expenses. So you have a mobile home park that may rent for $500 a month. If you get $1,200, that's very consequential in terms of overcoming this challenge. Now, in all fairness, I mentioned some of the interviews that I gave previously. If you go back and listen to interviews I was giving in 2018 and 19, I was very, very interested in the retail sector. And the reason was I felt like there was a huge discrepancy between the media and the actual data in the sense that big boxes all over the United States closing down shops, going through bankruptcies, really struggling. That had nothing to do with retail centers that were grocery anchored, filled with tenants like nail salons and martial arts studios and pizza restaurants. 
And so I was like, I didn't invest in retail during those times, but I put a lot of energy into discussing that I anticipate there would be a massive opportunity in that sector. We never quite made the numbers work. And now we're very lucky. And that was luck. That's why I'm a huge fan of diversification. So now going back to that one, two punch, now retail is actually hurt, right? You may have overcome that risk of Amazon, but now you have a really serious, hard to anticipate, hard to plan for risk. Now, the other side of that coin though, where you say, where's the opportunity now? Well, like, like I'm saying, there's not massive pricing arbitrage taking place in the multifamily apartment business right now, no. because there shouldn't be a lot of distress. Now there's question marks, but I've seen some very positive data point, but so where is the opportunity hotels, you know, hospitality, but we don't invest in those types of investments because of this exact thing. Like I said, this is a very ahistoric example, but anytime within one month you go from, nope, there's no opportunity to, holy cow, discounts everywhere. You should probably proceed with caution. Yeah. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be and really, you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. Absolutely. Well, like you, I, I got really lucky too, because I, I was very close to making some investments into some retail centers, uh, you know, hospitality product. And, you know, I, I categorize it certainly as luck, but I did recognize at the time that maybe I was stepping outside of my comfort zone, outside of my expertise. And I ultimately made the decision that my gut was telling me it wasn't, you know, wasn't the right move. You know, obviously the deals looked attractive, but I would still categorize it as luck. So let's proceed with, uh, you know, the good angel on our shoulder to say, all right, now we need to listen to the gut and we need to listen to the intuition as we proceed, you know, and, and invest in deals that make sense and invest in deals that there is a story behind the demand drivers. You know, one of the books that I'm reading right now is, um, you know, it's called Big Shifts Ahead, which you may have read uh, before yourself. And it's really just a demographic, uh, you know, explanation in terms of what's happening, you know, across the landscape. And obviously, this book was written back in 2016, way before a pandemic had ever hit the marketplace. But, you know, the, what I'm gleaning from this is that there are events in the world, whether it's a driven by, you know, government moves, you know, obviously, we've got tons of government moves that are happening right now in terms of stimulus, in terms of, you know, other potential drivers now with, with an election year, all of these things that are happening there, you've got technology, obviously, we've got an economic major shift. So how does this impact occupants in real estate for the next 10 years, the next 20 years? And how are we thinking strategically towards positioning ourselves to set ourselves up for success? So I would imagine you're along the lines of a strategic thinker as well. So I mean, how are you playing chess rather than just saying, all right, we need to make sure we don't buy the next retail deal that's going to be hit by the next pandemic or whatever. But 
I mean, how, how are you, how would you say that you're using strategic thinking, um, you know, to succeed for the long haul yourself? Yeah. So I'll first give you an answer that's probably closer to what you're looking for. And then I'll give you a really boring answer, which is probably the truth. <laughs> so the United States government's permanently damaged the balance sheet of the United States. I mean, if you go back and look at the federal balance sheet, this is like getting a tattoo and it will never change. So for the rest of the United States history, regardless of how far you have to zoom in, because we know the bigger the curve goes, then sometimes these little blips, these multi-trillion dollar blips seem to look small. But the reality is when that does happen, I think a lot of people get concerned about hyperinflation. I'm certainly not in that camp. Um, I do understand why you're concerned about that. And I'm a philosophical libertarian and a proponent of sound money, but I look at cumulatively the global macroeconomic picture is such that you have people or countries like Japan, for example, that whose debt to GDP ratio is about three times the United States. You don't see hyperinflation there. You see very much the opposite. You see stagflation, you see a reduction in prices. What you really see is a significant reduction in economic growth. And the reason for that is that this increase in debt has to be paid back to a large degree and the interest payments on that debt or the payments on that debt go to suck money out of the economy into from productive businesses and efficient businesses that solve problems driven by the consumer to pay off the spending that's occurred. So that's a permanent problem. Now, in terms of how that impacts our strategy, it almost doesn't because we're very much focused on class C and class B, generally speaking, workforce, housing, self-storage, multifamily, and mobile home parks. But most importantly, investing with operating partners that we want to work with for the next 50 years. And so our strategy moves like a barge rather than a little speedboat. You see, that's a strategy that we're going to, you can interview me in 50 years, I'll say the exact same thing. So um, I am thinking about it strategically, but this is not something new. And as far as why we focus on class C and class B, if everyone that's making $100,000 starts making 60, there's still a tremendous tenant base that we can pull from for our product. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree more because, you know, it's a long-term game. And, you know, if you're continuously changing your strategy and turning the ship rather than, you know, slowly shifting a barge to say, hey, what, what is it looking like in 10, 20 years? You know, you're, you're never going to get where you want to go. And I think there's a lot of value in that and the slow and steady and the long-term approach. And I also think that, you know, the long-term approach also lends itself to relationship building. And, you know, one of the things that you're so, you know, such an expert on is raising capital. And it seems like some of the best use of your time right now is aligning, you know, relationships and building and strengthening relationships. And one of the things that you've mentioned is that you believe, you know, probably the most important factor in determining entrepreneurial success is the ability to attract nurture and close high quality clients. So one, one thing I want to talk about with you is the attraction piece. You know, how do you attract others? Is it more so, Hey, you know what? I know what I'm doing and people want to come into my world and they want to do business with me or, or what else would you add to that? Um, because I feel like it's something that everybody really needs to be approaching right now as they're implementing their strategy is aligning and attracting other people to go on that journey with them. Yeah, it's a great point. So first of all, I want to thank you for allowing me to talk about some of the kind of nuts and bolts of the strategy, because without the success of that strategy, raising money is not lucrative at all. 
if you structure your compensation structure in such a way that you are only compensated when your investors experience a preferred return and a return of capital, and then you fail to deliver on that, it doesn't matter if you can raise $100 million a year, you're not going to be wealthy. In fact, you're probably going to be covered in lawsuits. So the reason I say that is to provide some context into me being really excited about raising money. It's only under that pretense. Right. So the order is what we just outlined. You really have to know what you're doing. You have to have extremely high caliber and exemplary strategic partners. And then if you can learn how to turn the faucet on, then it can be really pronounced for both you and your investors. So in terms of, you know, attracting people, here's the thing I, and I talk about this in my book, I I'm a confident communicator. I'm a very passionate person. If I find a product that I love, I want to share it with the world. And I found a product that I loved and it was real estate. And I went out to raise money for my first deal and signed a contract, but came to a very important agreement with an operating partner that I would bring at least half a million dollars to the table. I had a luncheon. I spoke as confidently as I'm communicating with you right now. And I would still give that same presentation today about the mobile home park business. And I fell on my face. I could not have fallen harder. I raised a total of $0 in front of 30 people, all accredited investors, all with a net worth of a million dollars or more. Let's just pause because that was heartbreaking, yeah. right? I mean, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. The emotional component for me was by far more important than the financial one. I could overcome the fact that I thought I was going to raise my first half million and here goes my career. The emotional and embarrassment to text my friends to say, despite all that work and that preparation, the result couldn't have been worse, zero. So I basically took time to realize I was in a room full of the wrong people and I don't ever want to try to convince someone to invest with me again. And now, fast forward a couple of years of blood, sweat, and tears, I frequently get emails with people trying to invest a quarter million dollars with me that may have not even had more than a phone call with me. And the reason is I put forth a tremendous amount of effort of being someone who attracts investors, nurtures them through educational content, phone calls, webinars, you name it, I've done it. And then it's a very more, it's a much more scalable business model. But the point is I don't run around trying to chase people and convert them to real estate investors. They are attracted to me because of the content and the work that I've put in, um, which is no easy task. But this example, I mean, this interview is an example of that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you even likened it in the book to, you know, instead of walking around with a harpoon trying to catch a fish, you stand at the top of the stream and, and you're the bear and the fish are catch, you know, jumping to you and everyone wins. You know, obviously in that scenario, the bear wins, but really all every, everyone wins because not only they're getting more educated, they're being able to, you know, build a relationship with you over a long period of time. They're understanding, they're getting their questions answered before they even ask them. And so I think there's a ton of value in that. I think it's valuable for everyone. It's like, let's put out value and let's deposit into relationships before you ask for anything in return, much, much before that. And don't expect anything in return. But if that comes, it comes. And obviously it's about mutually beneficial, you know, experiences for everyone involved. And so I think that's so valuable. Another thing that you talk about and something that I'm super fond of is, is personal growth and, and really just investing in yourself, but also looking for those $2,000 ideas. 
I mm. love how you really gleaned that sort of thought process and say like, you know what, if I'm going to go to a networking event or if I'm going to read a book or if I'm going to listen to a podcast, you know, what idea can I walk away from and implement that may be worth $2,000, which obviously could be worth much more than that. But talk to me a little bit more about what you mean by $2,000 idea. Yes, I feel like it's really important to put this in perspective. Um, you know, I know people who have personally raised $100 million for real estate investments and purchased half a billion dollars worth of real estate. You know, when I talk about the raising money side of the business, I mean they themselves, not some massive VC funded institution that has 100 employees. I'm talking about them going through a really rigorous process of establishing themselves as a thought leader and implementing that. So, I say that because that is extremely amazing. They have put themselves in a position where they're going to certainly be setting up trust for their children and grandchildren. I mean, that's pronounced all-time goals for most people in the world. And sometimes people can get caught playing a small game in the sense that they think, okay, it's a four-hour networking event. It's only 25 bucks. What a steal. And they go into that networking event thinking, I'm only going to lose 25 bucks. No, what you need to be worried about is that this is, this has the potential to have a pronounced impact on your personal freedom and financial goals. As long as you think about it like that, the $25 is not consequential. What's consequential is that four hours. So if I'm going to spend my time going to something, I need to be figuring out a route to that hundred million dollars raised, half a billion dollars purchased, something like that. And then you start to really refocus your energy. And what's really powerful about that as well is that realizing that that's the game others are playing and trying to facilitate that because economics is not a zero sum game. If someone else raises a hundred million, doesn't mean you don't get to. In fact, it's very much the opposite. If you know someone that has raised a hundred million and you've spent time with them, it means that they can do it. You can do it. This is amazing. How how much more of a great example of what's possible do you need? And so what I mean by that is because other people are in pursuit of that as well, when I go to a networking event, one of my goals is to try to get that $2,000 idea for sure. But I also want to facilitate that for other people. Many times it's not me that's going to share that information with them, but I'm listening to what they're saying. Who is the type of person that could really impact this person's life? What attorney does this person need to talk to? Is there a CPA that can potentially help them solve their problems? And if I can become that person that's facilitated that idea, the idea of reciprocity is just such a powerful thing in the human condition. And then all of a sudden we've got people all over the country or all over the networking events sharing those ideas with things that contacts that they think may help me. And it's cool to have a positive impact on other people's lives. And it's also cool to have your learning curve snowball rapidly because other people are interested in helping you. Yeah, I could not agree more as well. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I think is it plays a huge part in this is really clarity of intention. You know, what are, what are your goals? What are you looking to accomplish? And allowing infinite intelligence or your subconscious mind to do the heavy lifting. You know, this is something that I'm so, con- you know, I, I'm so passionate about because if you can create, you know, clarity for what you're looking to accomplish, things show up. It's like when you, if you bought a blue Honda, you start to see blue Hondas all over the road. And it's amazing when you set a clear goal, 
you know, here's the person I'm looking to meet, or here's the type of deal I'm looking to do, or this is the type of partner I'm looking to find. And you put yourself out there, it starts to show up and it shows up in, you know, investing in other people. Has that, has that occurred in your life as well, Hunter? Oh yeah. It's a great example. I mean, just, just going back to it. I mean, if you're thinking I paid $25 for this networking event, what you're trying to get is $25. Now, if you can restructure that and realize what is at stake, you're going to really impact your worldview to a large degree. Um, you know, it has, like I talk also kind of how competition is something that's very common in people that tend to have a lot of success. And I think that the term competition is something that people may misunderstand. It doesn't necessarily mean that because I want to do good, I want others not to do well. What I want to do is have a, I'm very competitive in terms of the positive impact I can have on other people's lives and the sphere of influence. And I would really love for someone to later look back and say, holy crap, you gave me such a good idea and I took off like a rocket ship. I mean, what you're saying right now, just the fact that that really resonated with you, that $2,000 idea thing. I could have kept that for myself and be like, this is like the secret that I need. But the reality is it's fun to share those types of things. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it feels completely selfless, but the reality is there's an element where I want you to succeed. I want you to go out and create some products that I want to enjoy. And like, this is not just true in the real estate sector. It's true all over the world. I want to live in a world with cool products and happy people that are financially free. That's awesome. Well, and, and one thing that really emanates from what you do, Hunter, is just striving for excellence. I feel like in everything you do, you're going the extra mile. And, you know, like you mentioned your book, I mean, it, it's dense, of course, but it's value packed and you're giving value and you're talking about, I mean, that's, that's really what emanates from you is you're offering value to other people. So where does that come from? I mean, were you always driven to be uncommon? Were you always driven to be excellent in everything you did? Or was there a moment or was it a process to get you to that point? Or talk to me a little bit about that. Great question. So in the beginning of the book, I talk about this massive failure to provide some context. Um, in terms of my life, because I think a lot of people talk about their success and you start to get the sense that they never made a mistake and you start to make excuses in the sense that, well, there's a reason this person has had the level of success they've had. They don't, they're not even on this planet. Like, oh, well, let me guess his first capital raise, he raised $30 million with a room full of $30 million, 100% close ratio, right? Yes. How, how ridiculous and Superman like would that story have been and how it wouldn't resonate with anyone. So I told you the truth, right? And in terms of the question you just asked, I'd be interested if you ask other people that question as well, what you kind of get, but I'll be honest with you. I was not in the right place in academia. That was not the structure for me. And you kind of alluded to it there. So what academia is about is going light on a lot of topics and the topics are given to you. You've got 50 minutes in this class. You've got 50 minutes in science. You've got 50 minutes in math and you've got five minutes in between. You're just rotating in this nightmarish mill, regardless of your own intuition and what you're actually interested in. I never got anything out of 50 minutes in math. I wanted to go eight hours on X I want to go deeper, deeper, deeper. And guess what? That's how economics actually works. The division of labor is a very powerful concept. It doesn't matter if you're really good at a lot of things. It doesn't matter if you're kind of good at a lot of things. If you're one of the best at one thing, then all of a sudden everything changes. And that's how a business actually works, right? I don't do everything. 
there are things my assistant does that I cannot do. And it's not just like me trying to act like I could never do the things she does in terms of how detail oriented she is just never makes mistakes. It's crazy. That's her unique ability. Um, so I want to find out what my unique ability is and really focus on that. So to get back to your answer, I was so bored in college and it was pretty funny. I think I graduated with a 3.0, but my last year and a half, I got straight A's. Okay. So why did that happen? It's because I wasn't interested in the introductory classes as the classes got harder and more specifically focused on things that I actually cared about 95, 98, 95. So I graduated with a B, but like, <laughs> that didn't paint a clear picture as far as my college experience. I was not engaged at all. And then all of a sudden, as it was more, you know, 400 level courses and it was papers and it was 20 page essays, I loved it. Because it was something that spoke to you, because it was something totally. that spoke to your passion and what you cared to go deep on. As you also care so much about economics and you love it and you love to go deep. And there's, I mean, it's an endless amount of depth that you can go through in terms of economics and your own financial education and understanding how everything is interrelated and how can you can make strategic moves to succeed and to create value for other people. So it's really kind of all coming full circle here with you. And, and I'd love to know, you know, how are you investing further in your own financial education, your own economics education today in such a volatile and also complex environment? So I have been really fortunate to be able to host this podcast, the Cashflow Connections Real Estate Podcast, which has now been a major contributing factor to my worldview and my learning as an investor. So I've been able to have people like Jim Rogers and Grant Cardone and Oren Claff and Robert Murphy and Tom Woods all on the show. But perhaps more importantly, a bunch of people that most people have never heard of, just economists, a consultant to the IMF, for example, and I can just pick their brain for an hour about what things look like. Is the inversion between the yield curve something that actually is consequential this time or has the Fed balance sheet stuff changed this? Like that, those types of questions are really going to impact my worldview. So a lot of that comes not only in those interviews, but also in preparing for those interviews. And I'd say that's probably the main source of new ideas. Yeah. It's I'm amazing. sure it's the same as for, for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Spending time with folks like yourself. I mean, you can't rub brains with other people like you and, and not walk away better for it. So I could not agree more. And it's amazing too. You know, even if you don't want to host a podcast, you can listen to this and gain so much valuable information. I always encourage the listeners to share with other people and share with a friend, you know, share the top three takeaways. Because when you discuss, I don't know about you, Hunter, but when I have a discussion with someone like yourself, I learn more. And, you know, the same can be done for anybody who's listening to the show or watching the show or, or watching your show. So I think it's so exciting. And, you know, another thing, another component, as you know, of what we believe, you know, the philosophy of Elevate, Elevate is all about really investing in yourself as well as investing in real estate successfully and creating that vehicle that can then serve your practical needs. So I'd love to know, you know, how are you investing in yourself personally to continue to grow as an individual who's running an empire, who's offering value to other people? So this is an interesting situation. So right now, as of the recording, this it's the beginning of June in California, we're still in a pretty serious post COVID kind of lockdown type of situation. And even before this though, um, my wife and I were in bed and we were kind of doing a vision board thing before we went to bed, like thinking, what would we do if we had like three more zeros in our bank accounts? You know what I mean? Like what would be like the unlimited plan? And it was pretty funny because I think the only two things we said, which were different than our lives currently was that we would have a home gym 
and that she would have a escalate. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason I say that is like, I love doing these interviews, right? So you can multiply my net worth by who cares. And I'm still going to do this because it's my favorite thing to do, but we still have to depend on Equinox to let us come to their place to work out. And then COVID kind of happened. And I said, dude, we can build a home gym for $3,000. Like three grand goes a long way. So we're moving and probably the excitement of kind of moving and going on rogue fitness and buying a squat rack, kettlebells, dumbbells, and some bumper plates has been so exciting. And now we're like three weeks away from half of our infinite plan coming to reality. So like that was a really exciting example of like, just visioning the future, reverse engineering that, okay, what we have to do to do that. And then, whoa, this is so achievable. And part of that I mentioned, of course, is that I get a ton out of physical training, especially as it comes to weight training, especially when it comes to um, doing heavy sets. So for people that are, you know, interested in that space, sets of like less than six, where you're putting yourself in a quasi life or death situation. This isn't get, you know, trying to get your muscles pumped out to get big. But if you put 250 pounds on a squat bar and get under it, your body understands you have to stand up and you're kind of tricking your central nervous system to train. It'll create bone density. It's just, it beats you up. So you got to eat right. It beats you up. So you got to sleep right. It just puts everything on path. So that's a huge thing that I do. Um, I'll brag for a second. I have a 414 pound or 415 pound deadlift which is fun and I'm proud of that or whatever, but I also recently ran a marathon in three hours and 10 minutes. And the combination of those two is cool, right? So it's like, find out what your limits are, push yourself for those three months, six month goals. And especially with weight training and running, you're pulling yourself in opposite directions. It's just cool to be a ninja, right? It's fun to do. That is. Yeah. And there's so much value in investing in your health, whether it's your own time and attention, but also pushing yourself to the limit, because not only does that create, you know, sort of maybe an an extra mental bandwidth that can allow you to succeed in what you're doing in real estate, which, which can be extremely challenging and overcome the extreme economic challenge that, you know, we'll probably continue to overcome for the remainder you know, of our lives, but you know, it's also fun. I mean, and it's also good for yeah. how you feel, you know, you just feel good. I don't know about you, but it's amazing. And the other thing that I got from what you just said there was, you know, sometimes we think that our goals and our dreams and our visions are so out of reach. And when we start to get really practical about it, we start to break it down. It's like, wow, we could actually build this home gym for $3,000. It's like, we yeah. can figure that out. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing. I mean, when you start to do a little bit of research on, well, what does it cost to acquire whatever this is that's on my vision board? How can I break that down? And how can I make that happen over the next six months, the next 12 months, whatever it may be? Um, I think there's a lot of value in specific clarity. Sometimes it's like you don't want to get too caught up in the how, but sometimes it's time to put rubber to the pavement. Would you agree to that? Totally. I love where your head's at. And, you know, this is something that four hour work week was kind of one of the first books that I was like, Whoa, this is so cool. And he talks a lot about that. He's like, is your goal to have an Austin Martin? Okay. Well that's like 600 bucks a month. Can you pay for that? Like you don't have to have $10 million. You need 600 bucks a month. And then all of a sudden you're living like you've accomplished all your financial dreams. So I'm not a car guy, but like I could understand a world where that would be like, Whoa, breakthrough moment. 
Yeah. Let's go to Austin Martin. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that. And so, you know, the other piece of this is obviously, you know, your vehicle of real estate, creating those future opportunities for yourself. So tell me about how are you raising the bar in your own real estate business right now to really, you know, capture those future opportunities that may or may not be apparent right now, but putting yourself in position to succeed for the long term. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of reasons that real estate is just so desirable to me and a good fit for my personality. I'm sure that you and I share a lot of those personality traits and you're well familiar with a lot of those strengths of real estate. Something that real estate has that I don't think enough people talk about, they talk about it, but not in this manner. The scalability is obviously very powerful, but what that really means is I never look to my left, look to my right and see coworkers who hate their jobs because there's no bureaucracy because of the scalability. So I'm surrounded by people I love that love what they do all day. It's so motivating. Like I can just tell from this conversation, this is something you're super passionate about. Like similarly to what I just mentioned, you're like living your dream right now, which yeah. is so cool. Yeah. And that is very common in this industry, as opposed to companies that have hundreds of employees that are just turning out the paper. It's not required. Uh, furthermore from that, I do like learning new skills and trying to be an expert in those skills. And that's something that's required in a hyper scalable business because a few team members can accomplish some amazing things. You know, I know companies that have a billion dollars under management that have 15 employees, like what planet are we living on? So what does that mean? Those 15 employees are all stars, not just in one or two tasks, but can adapt and change and constantly be major team players and participants. So that's something that I'm always doing. Um, you know, in the real estate sector, one of the challenges is the securities, compliances, and laws and regulatory environment. It, if you're interesting, if you're entering this industry and are starting to learn about that, um, unfortunately, that is something that will scale proportionately with your business. So it isn't that you get over the hump and then you're done. It's that as you go from 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 300 million, the proportional regulatory environment increases proportionally. So you're constantly interfacing with your CPA, you're constantly interfacing with your attorneys, et cetera. And at each level, there's a further level of reporting requirements and, and licensing and stuff like that. And so again, you can ask me that question in five years, I'll give you the same answer, but we're just, we're stepping our game up in terms of the compliance stuff right now. And it's, a, it's an important moment to do such a thing. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Well, and it's an important, you know, response to the question because it's about skill acquisition. It's about, you know, really what got you here isn't going to get you there, so to speak. And mm. I, I would imagine that that's one of the components that you share a deep affinity with real estate as well is that, you know, there's always a new challenge. There's always something new to overcome. And, you know, you may look at that and say, woe is me. I wish I could just scale to the mountaintop and just continue to, you know, sail, sail away with, with ease, you know, of the challenges that I overcame, you know, years ago. But I think you also mentioned there that was um, so important, I thought, was surrounding yourself with A players. 
And, you know, you mentioned, you know, companies with a billion under management who's got 15 individuals on their team. The only way they can do that, as you mentioned, I just want to highlight again, is that they have A players. They have people who are continuing to invest in their own skill acquisition and understand the continued growth of complexity in, you know, the next level that they're reaching. So talk to me about how are you, you know, as we mentioned earlier, kind of attracting folks in your sphere, but how are you attracting A players on your team as well? Well, you just have to set the bar very high and show that the demand for excellence on your own self is just unquestionable and that that's, there's no other option. And when other team players see, and they can tell when other people are not delivering excellence, they know they're not going to be around forever. But once you do curate that all-star team, then everything fires on all cylinders. And it's part of that, by the way, about being a principal or being an owner, someone that decides who sits in which chair is understanding that a, if someone is not producing that excellence, it could be a reflection of your lack of leadership. It also is that they're sitting in the wrong seat. And so, you know, we have a branch of our firm that does educational, it's a paid educational product and uh, we have a mentorship program and, you know, we have someone who administers sales and helps administer that program. Now, if that gentleman, what, who Adam, his name is Adam Carswell, if his whole job was to underwrite self storage, I would just think this guy's not helping us. You know what I mean? Like it's, he would be in the wrong seat. Like if his, all he did all day was go through Excel underwriting models, tweak sensitivity analysis and try to like figure out how deals are going to go, even though he knows how to do it. That's not his unique ability, but dude, what he loves doing is talking to new people and telling about this program because he went through it and had a lot of success. And so I could sit him in that seat for years and just try to force him to do the Excel underwriting stuff and get proportional increase. Or I could realize he's sitting in the wrong seat, put him in the place where that he currently is at and just watch him love his job all day. And every call he has is super exciting. And all he wants to do is work more. So very, very powerful. No, it's so interesting uh, because, you know, I, I will even catch myself when I'm, a, when I'm doing a project or working on a project that's not in my own u- unique ability. Either I'm sitting there yawning or I'm dozing off in different directions and I'm doing different projects and I'm putting that project off. Mm. So, you know, how do you understand that? How do you understand, you know, where to put players on your team, you know, on the right seats of the bus? It's like what Jim Collins says, you know, you've got to put, you know, players in the right seats of the bus, you know, not only fill the bus, but how can you be strategic about who is on that bus? So I think there's a ton of value there, but you know, uh, Hunter, I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We actually call this the rare air questionnaire and it's all about really elevating to a life without limits. It's about raising the bar. It's about scaling the mountaintops. You know, most people's legs are tired. Theoretically, most people can't (laughs) breathe, but you know, those who are elevating to a life without limits are going to continue to acquire new skills and, you know, make sure that they're tweaking their team and make sure that they're investing in themselves. So I've got a few questions for you here. I'd love to know, uh, one of which in terms of investing in yourself, I'd love to know what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read and, and why? So I would say Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs. And the reason I specify that is that Miracle Mornings is a very popular brand. Uh, Hal Elrod is the author but Hal Elrod co-wrote a book called Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs with Cameron Harold. And in the book, you get a combination of two things. Hal Elrod is like, you know, visualize the future, meditate, be sure to work out in the morning, those types of things. And Cameron Harold is the COO previously of Got Junk, 
who scaled it from like zero employees to 2000. And so he's very operations oriented. And I think the combination of having your morning routine right, starting your day on the right foot and being very pragmatic in your approach is something that's just very, very popular. So that's one. Um, I'll tell you as well, a major, major influence in terms of the way that the book is written is Dotcom Secrets by Russell Brunson. Don't be turned off by the name, either the name of Dotcom Secrets, which sounds like a book that was written in 1994, or Russell Brunson, who for quite some time I thought was just like a hack version of Richard Branson. <laughs> and I laugh now because like he has become one of the most, I just love this guy. Um, Russell Brunson is the founder of ClickFunnels. They never took a dollar of VC capital. They now have a billion dollar valuation. Pause. That is massive. It's crazy. And um, they've changed a lot of people's lives through the software that they created. So um, his book, .com Secrets, and also the uh, book Expert Academy or Expert Secrets, mm -hmm. um, really, really powerful stuff and just not the ones that people usually talk about. Love that. Yeah, no, we'll put links in the show notes there. And I appreciate the specificity on miracle mornings for entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot of, a ton. Of, I'm, I would imagine a ton of value in that. I'm going to pick that up myself. I've read uh, .com secrets as well. And definitely, you know, even if you're not a, you know, an online entrepreneur, obviously we're talking to real estate investors. There's a ton of value that you can glean from learning, you know, these type of secrets or these type of approaches to bring more people into your world and to systematize, you know, some parts of your business. So I highly encourage the listener to uh, take us up on the suggestion there. Uh, Hunter, I'd love to know, uh, beside what we've talked about today, what's the, what would you say is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Jeez. The, I mean, I can give some canned answer. The truth is I have a great partner in my wife who is just such a supportive figure and is really, really there for me. And she's also an entrepreneur, which is not always the best thing in for every couple, but for us, it's very, very powerful and works. And so that's the truth. In terms of every day, no questions asked. That's awesome. So set yourself up with a great partner and, and uh, everything else will work itself out. I love that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you outside of what we've already talked about today? You know, I, I am really proud of the response for raising capital for real estate and I love it. Like it's, you know, we sold thousands of copies all over the world, but when I see someone who has just covered that book in sticky notes and highlight tabs, I'm like, that's right. Like, that's what I went for. And you know, it wasn't, it's not just me that's done it. It's just from my perspective, that book hadn't been written in the real estate sector. Right. So like Rich, uh, Russell Brunson did that for online marketing and email writing in the sense that right now you can see my book is covered in those. And I, I felt like that was going to be a contribution that I made to the real estate sector, which has been so good to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I want to just reiterate to the listener, you've got to pick up this book. It's absolutely fantastic. Thanks. And we do have a little bit of a gift here that we'll share at the end. Uh, with regard to the book and specifics. Um, but before we do that, Hunter, this has been absolutely outstanding. I really appreciate you taking time. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? Yeah, I would say this. Um, you guys are in the middle of something so exciting, which is that the playbook is being given away in a sector that has been very slow to move otherwise. You can learn 
so much about the world of private equity real estate by simply driving to and from work, listening to the right people. The next step with that is identifying a few of those people that you really like and reaching out to them and establishing relationships with them. So don't hesitate when you hear these interviews and you like some of the things that people say, follow up, go download their ebook, sign up for their newsletter, whatever it is, because if you dedicate the time, especially in terms of this particular concept, you can create the financial freedom and the well-being and the direct your own life that a lot of these guests have come on and talked about. So that's my suggestion. Yeah, I absolutely think this could be one of the greatest times in our lifetime to create wealth, to create new opportunities, and perhaps even the largest transfer of wealth ever uh, is is occurring right now. So what what opportunities are really what what two thousand idea two thousand dollar ideas or even much more valuable are out there right. for you to take on right now. So so Hunter, with that said, man, really really appreciate you taking time. Tell the listeners how they can learn more about you, your companies, and and follow you along. Sure. So um, we mentioned the podcast, which is the Cash Flow Connections Real Estate Podcast. Cash Flow is two words there. And then if you are interested in investing and you're an accredited investor, um, ASIM Capital is the name of my company, asymcapital.com. And I'm not sure what you wanted to say about the book, but we can mention that one as well. Yeah. So I just have a note here that you're offering a free book uh, to That's listeners right. for raising capital for real estate. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, exactly. So it's free plus shipping. All you got to do is pay the $7.99 for the, the shipping and... I didn't say this formally, but if you don't get $8 of worth of value out of the book and you're interested in the topic, it's okay. Don't email me. Just unsubscribe to everything. I don't have <laughs> anything else to offer you. But yeah, it's something like, you know, it's, a, it's an $8 investment and um, there's just so many cool lessons that you can learn in the industry and you know, I think it's the playbook. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I mean, I, I'll go out on a limb and say that there's a ton of value in the book and there's a ton of value in engaging with Hunter and, you know, all of his content and everything that he's doing. I mean, he's got a ton of educational content out there. So definitely engage with that. Engage with him. I mean, as he mentioned, you have the opportunity of reaching out to Hunter and learning more about him and learning more about, you know, what he offers to folks and what he can offer in terms of value to you. So you have the opportunity to do that. We will put links in the show notes of where you can find Hunter on social media. We'll put links to all his websites and everything uh, in the show notes as well. So take a look there. But I also encourage you to re-listen to the show. You know, again, I mentioned it uh, mid midway through our show, but what are the top three takeaways that you've got today? I, I always say let's distill it down to three because, you know, it's like a three to thrive. It's like, what are the things that we can take action on now? It's so important to take massive action, but it's also important to discuss this with others because as I mentioned as well, I don't know about you, but when I talk, I learn. And when I teach, I learn, you know, the teacher is who learns the most. And also repetition is key. Repetition is very important. And it's a mother of all skills. So, you know, I would obviously uh, recommend that you re-listen re to the show because Hunter's got, you know, decades of experience of, of deep wisdom of going very deep, not only on economics, but on real estate and investing in himself and investing in others and creating opportunities, not only for his, his family, his, his wife, himself, but others around him and creating so much value and creating a life that has no limits. And he's truly doing that. So if you want that yourself, commit and take massive action. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. And Hunter, thanks so much for being here. Happy to do it. Thanks again. Absolutely. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. 
If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.